Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zararis. I am here a few minutes after the Tampa Bay Lightning prolonged their season. They, Tampa Bay Lightning, are still alive. The Boston Bruins are still alive. The Minnesota Wild look pretty much like they're on death's door. Down 3 nothing in the second period. The Kings and the Oilers, it's one nothing Oilers right now. In the first intermission as I'm recording, it's a little after, it's about 11.15, a little bit before that. But going to have a nice conversation about the Hurricanes and Bruins series, the Lightning and the Leaf series. So, and maybe we'll do a little setting the table for the Rangers-Penguins tomorrow at the end of the episode if I feel like rambling on and on. We'll see. But before we get to the main part of today's show, got to take care of the preamble of the show, as I like to call it. So, first things first. Wherever you like to get your podcasts, if this is your first time listening, please subscribe to the show. Show's available on all the major podcasting platforms. If you are using one of those niche podcast apps and you cannot find the show, send me a DM. Send me a reply in the tweet to the show's links for the most recent episode. I can get an RSS feed up on any of the other sites, the other podcasting hosting sites. Just let me know. Number two, if you are the bulk of users and using only using Apple Podcasts or Spotify, like the bulk of the people who listen to the show, leave the show a review. Apple Podcasts, it's very straightforward. All you got to do once you've subscribed, you got to scroll past the most recent five or six episodes. There's going to be five clear purple stars. You hit the one furthest to the right, five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. If you could be so kind as to leave a five-star review and leave a written review, that would be absolutely terrific. On Spotify, you do have to listen to a few episodes of the show before it allows you to leave a review. You can do it the honest way, or you can just listen to four or five episodes, hitting the 15-second button a couple of times each time, and then it'll allow you to leave a review. Please help support the show. Anybody's content you enjoy Show them some love. Give your content creators engagement on anything they put together, whether it's on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, wherever somebody's making stuff for an audience. Interact with it. Engage with it. Help that person grow their audience. That stuff's awesome. Okay. Not going to be a long episode. Just the big broad strokes about the two playoff series that have already finished their games for the night. And maybe I'll touch base on the Wild Blues and the Oilers and Kings. I'll see you guys on the other side of the drop. Sorry, Leafs fans. And with that, we will get on into today's show. So, there's a few ways we could do this. I, I was rattling around in my head whether I want to do inverted pyramid style where we start with the most important thing, which is the Leafs and Lightning, because that's the biggest series in these playoffs right now, because that's the league's most popular and valuable franchise, trying to chase away years and years of demons against the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions, or... We could do chronological and start with Boston, Carolina. I think after talking out loud here to you guys, I think we're going to start with Tampa and Toronto. So this is the kind of series where the narratives take over a lot of the framing. 
you're not getting the most straightforward look at everything because you're bringing the baggage that these two teams bring with them into any evaluation you make when you watch them, when you think about them. When you think about the Toronto Maple Leafs, you think about Steve Dangle and the torture and the hell the Maple Leafs have put him through over the last seven or eight years. You think about the losses to the Bruins. You think about the losses to the Blue Jackets in the bubble. You think about losing to Montreal in an empty arena last year. All of the things that come flashing back, and it's very easy to just assume, well, these are the same old Leafs. They're still the Leafs. This is still largely the same team that struggled in all these spots. And then on the flip side of that coin, you're looking down the barrel of a team that's won 16 playoff games two consecutive seasons. It's very difficult to go to -to back-to-back in any sport. It's more doable in hockey than people like to pretend. It's not... I really hate to be that guy and tell you, but more different teams have won the NBA title in the last 10 years than teams have won different teams have won the Stanley Cup. So that's one of those things you got to realize. And the Lightning are a very good team. There's no no getting around it. I mean, even this year where the Lightning kind of just, I don't want to say they phoned in the regular season. They weren't going crazy in the regular season trying to have a great record. They knew they just had to get into the playoffs. And then the guys who get them here every single year who are consistently great, Take over. When you think about the last couple of years and you know that there's a good chance that at least one to two of the games in a best of seven series, Andre Vasilevsky is going to be able to steal by himself. He is that good of a goaltender. I know Igor Shesterkin just had one of the best goalie seasons of the last 10 years and in the modern NHL, frankly. Vasilevsky is still the guy until he is no longer the guy. And we've seen Vasilevsky be tremendous in the playoffs in multiple series over the course of the last two seasons. He was outstanding tonight. Kept the lightning in the game when it kind of felt like maybe the Leafs had swung the momentum. A couple really big saves in the overtime because Toronto made some really good pushes during set overtime to get in close to really have a good chance of scoring. But... That's just Vasilevsky. And then we get to the guys who... You would think Braden Point and Anthony Sorelli were like 40 years old at this point with the volume of playoff games they've played over the last couple of years. But those guys, man, their games, respectively, both translate so well to the type of hockey necessary to be good in the postseason. You think about Braden Point and his dynamic skating, which was at one point a detriment. That was the reason Braden Point went in the second round. I went... I. I remember last year going through and looking at Tampa's team player by player where they were drafted. And in the case of guys who turned into productive players but were drafted past the first round, I wanted to look into that. I read some of their draft profiles, some of the scouting reports out there. And at the time, Braden Point was short, which he still is, and he was considered a negative skater. And the Lightning, being a great organization, recognized his other talents and said, okay, we can teach you how to skate. You already have an elite hockey sense. And Braden Point's been amazing the last two years in the playoffs, and we still haven't talked about Kucherov or Stamkos or Victor Hedman or some of the secondary guys that they brought in over the last couple of years, like Pat Maroon. This year in particular, they bring in Corey Perry. They trade for Brandon Hagel. They trade for Nick Paul. They are a well-constructed team. They've got one of the five coaches that actually makes a difference in the NHL and John Cooper. So you're thinking about all of that stuff coming into this series. 
And it's been a very weird series before games five and six. The first four games, they were very lopsided, the final scores. One team would get out in front and then just massacre the other team. And that's in part because there were so many penalties called in those games. Tonight, not a lot of penalties. Not as many as in the first five games, just raw counting numbers. Yeah, there were a few opportunities. The Lightning had a five on three. Tampa had a couple power plays. But nowhere near the volume of penalties we saw called in the first game. And it let the game flow a little bit better. I mean, it was, I would say, a coin toss type game and i would lean to say i felt like toronto was in control of the game a little bit more than tampa but one of the things that really stuck out to me and watched the way in which john cooper uses his lines and in the order he uses them it was really telling to me that whenever the leafs would have a good shift in the offensive zone the next line to come out for the lightning it would be that Nick Paul and Brandon Hagel line because Cooper would think to himself, okay, they just had the Leafs just had a good push. I need to get my guys a little bit, you know, settled down like the David Fisdale gif basketball Twitter, NBA Twitter likes to use, pointing towards the floor a little bit of a, hey, hey, slow it down, slow it down. So Hagel and Nick Paul go send the puck down the other way. They're going to grind you out a little bit, try and work the cycle, maybe get the puck to the point for a point shot, look for a deflection or a rebound. Then... After that, once those guys have worn you down a little bit, he sends Point and Kucherov out there, the bastard trying to kill you, a slow and torturous death. That is the kind of interesting line mixing that you see from a coach who's got a perfect feel for what he needs in a given situation. And I thought the Leafs were good tonight. I'll be honest with you. I thought the Leafs were pretty good tonight. A lot of really good chances. Matthews... I felt like Matthews, I felt like Marner, both really good games. John Tavares had a pair of goals. He was very influential in tonight's game. William Nylander had a couple really nice plays to help set up the Tavares goals. So all in all, when I think about this game, and this is what I've always said about the Maple Leafs, and it's one of those things, you need things to go your way in the playoffs to win multiple series to win hell even just to win one game in a playoff series you need things to break your way you need to get one 50 50 bounce to go your way and tonight that 50 50 bounce went to went tampa's way they came down on the rush in overtime Campbell made the initial save, Braden Point recovered it, and they, and it was a rugby scrum in the crease, and Braden Point whacked it in past Jack Campbell, and that was it. And all it takes is that puck squirting an extra couple inches away to the left or to the right, and Point's not going to be able to hit it with as much force. He's not going to be able to get it past Campbell, and the game keeps going. Or, on the other end, maybe the Leafs just get one of those scoring chances from within 10 feet of the net to go in in another universe type thing. I I've got multiverses on my mind because I saw Doctor Strange this past weekend, but you, you get what I'm saying here. When you get to overtime... Usually, it's going to be something ugly like that. It's not very often you have the clean zone entry, one pass, shot, goal to win the game, unless it's a superstar player making some absurd move through traffic kind of deal. Or if you're thinking of like the, I don't know, the Steve Eiserman goal against the Blues in the late 90s when Gretzky was on the Blues and Steve Eiserman was obviously the captain of the Red Wings on one of the years the Red Wings won the Cup. That, maybe, you, you see that on occasion, but... 
I was very much not... I thought the Leafs were going to win tonight. I felt like they played well enough to win tonight. But that's just the way it works, man. And it sets up another one of those nights. Saturday night, I am going to be at the Met game. Very much streaming this game, the Leafs Lightning game, on my phone at the Met game. Or taking a nice walk over to the, the, what's it called, the Piazza Lounge to watch it on TV. Because... This is going to be one of those moments. Whenever we set up these playoff series, we think about who is Toronto going to play and is this finally going to be the year because the Leafs are the most noteworthy team in the sport. They are the most followed. They have the most following, the most value. They play in the biggest market in Canada. And I hate to do this because it very much speaks to the history of the sport and not the present of the sport, but hockey media is still largely Canada centric and it's largely Toronto centric, which is why the Leafs dominate so much of the hockey discourse, regardless of the market. I mean, I, I open the athletic and the athletic has, I think three different people who write content about the Maple Leafs. And obviously I'm going to read it because I like to know as much as I can about every team, but the Leafs dominate hockey discourse and always will. They always will because of how large a fan base they have. And the larger the fan base, the more important that team is to people who produce content because they know that whether it's good or bad, people will interact with it. So that's why the Leafs have such a big presence in media coverage. And this game, the one thing that kind of stuck out to me, and it's weird that this stuck out to me of all things, I thought the Maple Leafs' fourth line was really good tonight with um, with Spezza, with Colin Blackwell. I really thought those guys had a good game tonight. And then I, when I went and looked on Natural Statric, those guys had like eight minutes of ice time. And the game went to like four minutes to go in OT. I, I kind of felt like I would have liked to seen them out there a little bit more. I, I understand you're using them sparingly for a reason. They are your fourth line, but... All those guys got a nice little bit of offensive upside. The few times the, I think they went out, I think they got two shifts in that 15 minutes of overtime. And both times Toronto got the puck below the Tampa goal line and was able to work a cycle, kind of get the game under control. That's the kind of effort you need from your fourth line in this type of game. And the last point I want to make on the Leafs and Lightning. I don't want to hear about I don't want to hear about Toronto being soft. Toronto played a very physical game tonight. Austin Matthews... Austin Matthews irks me. He he got a slap on the wrist for that sexual harassment incident two falls ago now. And the league ignores it. And he never really had to, you know, make up for it in any way, which isn't right. Austin Matthews is a tremendous hockey player. He's... Probably not a great person, and he was really good tonight. I thought Nylander was really good tonight. I thought Marner was really good tonight. I thought Tavares was really I thought the Leafs were really good tonight. But the thing about championship teams like the Lightning, they do not die. You think about the zombies in the zombie movie who you shoot a leg off and they're still crawling after you. You shoot them in the head, but you don't hit the brain, so they're still crawling after you. That's the lightning, okay? 
to win a championship, you need to be able to take everything on the chin. You need to be able to absorb bad things happening to overcome them and keep it going. Let's not forget here. The Lightning were up in this game 2-0. The Leafs got it to 2-2 on the Spezza goal. Then Nylander sets up Tavares. The Lightning are down 3-2 with, what was it, like 14 minutes to go in the third period, something like that. The Leafs take two penalties. The Lightning are on a 5-on-3. Kucherov stores. It goes to 3-3. And at that point, I was worried. At 3-2 Toronto, I thought, okay, maybe the Leafs can do this. Maybe the Leafs can do this. When Tampa scored on the power play there, I just didn't have a good feeling about the direction of the game from there because you're not actively thinking about it, but in the back of your mind, as soon as it gets to 3-3, everybody on Toronto is just going to play a little bit stiffer because they're not trying to make a mistake. And I've talked about this two days in a row now. When you're trying to not make a mistake, it's when you make a mistake because you're overthinking everything. What should take one second is taking one and a quarter second. And that's the difference between winning and losing, especially in a game that goes to overtime. So, the other game that's already concluded by the time I started recording, Carolina-Boston. Bruins came out to play tonight. I, I There's no other way to put it. The, for whatever reason... It's been very different series based, a very weird series based on where the games have been played. A home game, uh, a team has yet to lose at home in that series. Carolina won all three in Carolina, Boston all three in Boston. Of course, game seven will be in Carolina on Saturday. I'm very curious to see what type of tactical adjustments the Bruins make. That's been part of what's made this series interesting is that the one chip that Bruce Cassidy has played at points in this series to kind of spice things up when his team has gotten stale is splitting up the Pasternak, Marshawn, Bergeron line. And when he's done it, he's done it where he's put Eric Howell and Taylor Hall with Pasternak, and then he's put Marshawn and Bergeron with Jake DeBrusque. And when they get it going, it was great. I mean, tonight, the Bruins looked awesome. They controlled that game more or less, I would say, a solid 50 of the 60 minutes. And then the last 10 minutes of the game, it was a blowout. So nobody was really trying anymore. I think Boston set a tone early. McAvoy throws that really, really violent hit on Sebastian Ajo the first few minutes into the game. And wasn't a penalty. I didn't think it was a dirty hit. I just think it was really fast and really violent. And then again, this gets into that subjective area of is something that's reckless or violent, dirty, and then it, it becomes in the eye of the beholder. It becomes a subjective ruling as opposed to what the rules say. So really, really bad hit. And I'm very glad Sebastian Ajo was okay. It could have been really bad if Ajo landed on his head or his neck, but thankfully he didn't. He was okay. Uh, Carolina was all out of sorts in this game. Uh, Boston was really aggressive. They, Boston was really, really good in transition tonight. One of the things that leapt out to me, and I wrote it down in my notes, was that Boston is getting a lot of rush scoring chances. They're gaining the zone with speed, one pass, shot on net. And that worked for a majority of the Boston goals. And when Boston is able to play in transition, where they have their high-end players like Marshawn, like Pasternak, like Taylor Hall, making zone entries with speed, that's going to put pressure on Carolina. And 
That is one of the ways to be an aggressive forechecking team like Carolina. You need to turn you need to turn them on their head because they're going to pinch so aggressively trying to make you make mistakes. You just got to be faster than them. And of course, that's not easy to do. There's a reason Carolina is as good as they are. It's because it's hard to break out against that type of press. But Carolina really didn't have it tonight. And in this kind of game that gets out of hand, that snowballs, you are prone to seeing guys do stupid shit. Case in point, Marshawn spearing somebody in a game where his team was winning by four goals. He took a double minor. If he is suspended for game seven because he speared somebody who was being annoying, that tells you all you need to know about the type of player Brad Marchand is. For as talented as he is, as good at hockey as he is, he still has to have those moments where he makes it about himself, getting even with somebody, trying to be the tough guy, the cool guy, etc. There's no need, Brad. Everybody knows you're that good at hockey at this point. Why are you still putting yourself in those kinds of situations? And because you consistently put yourself in those type of situations, you don't get entitled to the benefit of the doubt anymore if you're somebody like Brad Marchand when you're getting something like that reviewed by player safety because that's part of the criteria when player safety is reviewing your case. If you do stupid shit like this, often you will have that held against you and it becomes part of your profile and your reputation. Marchand is a rat. That is his his MO. That is the way he tries to play. He tries to mess with the other team, get them uncomfortable off their game. And the other team gets Brad off his game a decent amount. If they didn't, he still wouldn't be doing things like that. It's really disappointing that he still ends up playing like that because he had a really good game tonight. He's the one who opened the scoring and started that snowball effect and got them way out in front. I thought the Boston fourth line had a really good tonight with um with Lazar and Noshek. They were rewarded with their efforts tonight. Them and uh, Felino, they got a goal tonight off a deflection, off a Derek Forbort shot from the point. They got one. That's the thing. When Boston looks right, they can beat anyone. We saw the Bruins go on a real heater with Jeremy Swayman during the month of April. They play that lockdown defense where you're not going to be able to get to the net around them. You're not going to be able to fire those cross-team passes, and you're going to have to work for every foot. And the Boston defense wasn't elite tonight, but it was more than good enough. Hampus Lindholm made a couple really nice plays early in the game. That stuck to mind. I mean, I wrote down Lindholm's return. Yeah, I wrote down Lindholm breaks up odd man rush. And yeah, that's the thing. When Carolina has to work for every foot they do eventually start to get tired. It's not easy, and it's not a crippling, debilitating tired like, you know, like the Rangers were after Game 1 against Pittsburgh, where, or every, after Period 1 in Game 1 against Pittsburgh, where everybody was so gassed from playing balls to the walls for 20 minutes. You can make Carolina work hard for their offense, and that's what you got to do. You can't make mistakes when Carolina's pressing you in the neutral zone because that's how they jump on you, and that's why they've been so effective this year. I picked. I thought Boston would win tonight. I still think Carolina wins on Saturday. I think Carolina's definitely a more talented, more well-rounded, a deeper lineup. Auntie Ronta's been fine. He hasn't been great. Uh, I know Carolina's kind of going through right now at the goalie position because Freddie Anderson is still not available. 
I would like to say I think Carolina definitely wins on Saturday, but that's why we play the games. Weirder shit has happened. I don't think Boston has played outstanding in this series, but in the games they've won, they've really taken it to the to um Carolina and tonight. I mean, the other story of the game is of course the Boston crowd messing with Tony D'Angelo, which was very funny. And and I'm glad Boston won so they got to have their fun. I I know people paid a lot of money to be there tonight. Boston is one of the more expensive tickets to get during especially during the postseason. I'm glad the Boston fans got to have their fun with Tony D'Angelo tonight. He deserves it for being a jackass. I've always held that opinion in sports. If you are asinine, antagonistic as a player, and the fans want to heckle you as long as it's not ridiculous and they're not throwing things, by all means, Boston chanting fuck Tony was very funny tonight. I I, I can't... I, I might be a very, pretend to be a mature person sometimes when I'm doing this podcast, but at the end of the day, I think it was very funny. And that that kind of stuff, it's not good for the sport, but it makes fans happy. So that's important. So as I am sitting here recording, the Oilers are up 2 to nothing on the Kings and what's been a very weird back-and-forth series where the Oilers have had... The, the Oilers have had depth issues forever. I mean, that's not a secret. But one of the things the Kings have done really well in this series is try to mitigate when Dreisaitl and McDavid are split up. They put Deneau on Dreisaitl. Deneau has been outstanding again like he was last year on that line in Montreal with um with Brendan Gallagher and Thomas Tatar or Jake Evans, whichever one was in for that given game just smothering forechecking type, not giving a lot of room, winning every face-off. And yes, I'm not a big proponent of needing to be elite at face-offs, but that's such a good part of Deneau's game because he is borderline elite at winning face-offs. That becomes a plus for him because if he can just beat Dreisaitl on the draw, he's got the puck and Dreisaitl doesn't, and that's really important. So you got that eraser going. To start this game, the Oilers did... McDavid Dreisaitl with Kyler Yamamoto. They've been juggling. They've been double, double shifting Dreisaitl with his regular line with Evander Kane and then up there with McDavid at points. I hope the Oilers can force a game seven. That's a really. I just feel bad for Connor McDavid at this point. Like, there's no other way around it. I feel bad for the Oilers fans. I feel bad for Leon Dreisaitl. I feel bad for my boy, Evan Bouchard. I. Just please win a goddamn series, so the, bring the temperature down a little bit. And then the last series that's still on, but that game looks pretty resolved in outcome at this point in St. Louis. The Blues really came out strong tonight, played a really, really intense game. The first goal, the Blues scored. It's an ugly one. And the Blue, excuse me, the Wild went to Cam Talbot tonight as the starter because Marc-Andre Fleury had not been great in the previous couple of games and said, maybe we change the goalie that forces our team to play a little bit tighter defense, but just wasn't the case tonight. I mean, it's 4 nothing right now. It would take a miracle for the wild to win this game and get back in this series. I'm a little bit disappointed. I thought the wild had upset dog potential to go maybe as far as the cup final, but barring uh, Kevin Fiala, Kirill Kaprizov, Matt Zuccarello heater of epic proportion, that series is over. And then the wild have things they got to figure out They're They're going to be in a real bad cap crunch. Come 
the summer. We'll talk more about the eliminated teams after this weekend. We'll probably dedicate an episode to only the teams that get eliminated over the course of the next couple of days. Talk about where they go from here. Maybe get some guests on to talk about their teams and where they go from here and what they thought about this season. But... Set, man. The Wild are a really fun team to watch. Kirill Kaprizov is rapidly ascending, if not number one, probably my number two favorite player to watch play hockey, aside from McDavid. Just constantly making specially dynamic plays. And yeah, as I look up, they have McDavid with Dreisaitl and Yamamoto, and they almost just scored again. They've really... The Oilers have done a really good job in this game of keeping pressure on the Kings and keeping the puck in the offensive zone. The problem in the games the Kings have won in this series, it's because the Oilers haven't been able to get to offense cleanly because the Kings have slowed them down. They've made them dump the puck and go get it. All of the things that an offense like Edmonton, which is based on speed, doesn't want to have to do. Okay. It doesn't seem like Sidney Crosby is going to play on Friday. The Penguins may just be staying quiet to give the Rangers a false sense of hope, full well knowing Sid is going to play and he's fine. I hope Sid is okay and he's fine and he's able to play. As much as I would like the Rangers to win this series, that's not more important than Sidney Crosby's long-term health and his career. Just, it, it's not. It, it, it's not. And it's important we talk about that and we be mindful of that. I mean, I, I try to be respectful of greatness even if I dislike the player. Sid irks me. He always has irked me. He's gotten the benefit of the doubt in situations he hasn't been deserving of it. I, I still think about him sitting on top of P.K. Subban in the Stanley Cup final and face-washing him and banging Subban's head into the ice and not even getting called for a penalty, let alone supplemental discipline. So that's what I'll say there, but he's still one of the five, six best players to ever play the sport. So you want him to be all right. If he does not play, I do think the Rangers can win game six and force a game seven. If he does play... They're going to need a kitchen sink type effort. And I'll be honest with you, if it weren't for the kids on Thursday, excuse me, on Wednesday, the, the Rangers wouldn't be playing on Friday because the kids were the only ones moving their feet, winning loose pucks, playing below the goal line, and really working hard. That's the thing that people lose me when they talk about grittiness and toughness. Fuck that! I need the guys who know where the puck is going to be and are going to win the puck battle when it's there. You want to talk about, oh, you need to be tough. No, you need to be smart and you need to be agile. Can you win a puck battle if you get there second? Yeah, it's easier to win a puck battle if you get there first. Okay, all of those little things, they compound each other. The, the kid line got rewarded on Wednesday because they've been doing the right things all series. Getting pucks down low, below the goal line, winning puck between the circles to the slot. That is where you want to be ripping your shots from because those have a good chance of going in. That is why I'm very happy the kid line actually got some puck luck for once because when they played together for the first, I think it was five games of the regular season last year, Hedel Kako and Lafreniere, and this was Lafreniere as a rookie, second year Kako, I think third year Hedel. 
They had really good underlying results. They were in the mid-50s for Corsi, low-50s for expected goals. The problem was the shooting percentage. They were shooting like 2% when the average line shoots about 6%. So you got to think about things like that when you're evaluating how lines play. I'm very happy they got rewarded for their good play on Wednesday. If the Rangers are going to prolong this series, they need Mika Zibanejad to wake up. They need their most expensive forward other than Panarin to play like it. I know Zibanejad had a good season. I think he had 84, 85 points. He's a great trigger man on the power play. He needs to be better defensively. He needs to actually win a puck battle. He needs to be engaged in the neutral zone instead of floating based on what he feels like he should be doing. He needs to be better at winning loose pucks in transition. And he needs to be better in the offensive zone. When he's not shooting, what is he giving them? He's not great in that cycle, which is a problem, to be honest with you, because Vitrato and Kreider are better suited for that. Zabinijad is more of a finesse player. He's going to need to get that crossing pass where he's able to set somebody up as opposed to just keeping the puck moving. He always tries to overcomplicate things. I need a good game from Mika Zibanejad on Friday night. I do. I, I need it. Okay. I I did think it was funny when I saw a few Ranger fans calling him Julius Zibanejad, talking about Julius Randle, how Randle was really good in the regular season last year, and then when the Knicks got to the playoffs, he was abysmal against the Hawks. I don't know if that's entirely fair to say about Zibanejad, but he does need to be better. Panarin needs to be better. Kreider needs to be better. They need... They need Fox to be better, man. It can't just be the kid line tomorrow, tonight. It cannot be just the third line that's playing that 200-foot game that's going to make the Penguins work. If Sid's playing, they got to have an answer for him. They cannot let Sidney Crosby, Brian Rust, and Jake Gensel dominate Game 6 like they did the first five games of the series prior to Sid leaving Game 5 with about six minutes to go in the second. I don't feel real I don't feel particularly confident going into this game. I thought I was more likely to believe they would win game 5 than lose game 5 just because they've been so good during the regular season off of losses and home ice getting last change even if Gallant doesn't use it right. I don't feel good about game 5. I I excuse me game 6. I'll I'll just be honest with you. Pittsburgh has been a difficult arena for them to play in over the years. That fucking air horn just irking the shit out of us Ranger fans at all given times. I would like to say I think the Rangers are going to win. I Again, I think this is either a Pittsburgh blowout win that snowballs like the two previous games in Pittsburgh. Or I think the Rangers win another squeaker. I, I don't really see a Pittsburgh squeaker in the cards. And if the Rangers blow them out, it's because Sid didn't play. Very possible he doesn't because the Penguins have been so quiet. So... You know what? Fuck it. I think the Rangers are going to win. I, I've talked myself into it over the last five minutes mentally while I've been recording the podcast here. If Sid doesn't play, I think the Rangers definitely win and they force a game seven. And then, you know, to quote the great Kevin Millar, who works on MLB Network now, anything can happen in a game seven. That will just about do it for today's show. I hope everybody enjoyed. I will see you guys on Monday. We'll recap all the hockey action from over the weekend. I'll touch base on the NBA series because we should have our Western and Eastern Conference final set up by then. Plenty, plenty to talk about. I'll see you guys on Monday.